Chapter Eleven of Pee Wee Harris Fixer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pee Wee Harris Fixer by Percy Keys Fitzhugh. Chapter Eleven Pee Wee's Promise. Emerson Skybrow was also detained after school that afternoon, but not for being a humorist. Far from it. Life was no jesting matter to Emerson. He remained for the wildly adventurous task of sharpening the lead pencils used in his class. He was a sort of chambermaid in the room, which he adorned. But he did not remain long enough to complete his task, for there were important matters on for the evening. Emerson was going to a show, or, as his mother preferred him to say, an exhibition. He tried to remember to say this, and succeeded very well. In the case of a circus, he could not very well say exhibition, but he could not say show. So he compromised and said circus exhibition, but he ran plunk into a catastrophe on his way home, which all but proved fatal to his plans. Meanwhile, Pee-wee, fresh from his latest triumph, proceeded at once to Main Street and to the Five and Ten, where he began a purchasing debauch at the hardware counter. Having fifty cents, he bought ten different things, or rather lots, at five cents each. These appeared to represent plans both novel and far-reaching in the field of radio equipment. He counted out three dozen screws for a nickel. He purchased two brass handles, evidently intended for bureau drawers, at the same price. He purchased a roll of tire tape and a half-dozen brass screw eyes. His resources thus diminished to 25 cents. He pursued a more conservative policy in his inspection. He finally bought three boxes of copper staples for a nickel and allowed his eyes to dwell fondly on a compartment full of ornate picture hooks, 30 for 5 cents. He paused to consider how he might use these and having found a place for them in his new field of scientific interest, he counted out 30. Then the sales-girl recounted them and put them in a paper bag. The remainder of his capital he spent at the counter where radio parts and accessories were sold. He bought six little brass rods. He did not know exactly why, but they looked tempting and had a mysterious suggestion of electrical apparatus about them. In this carnival of temptation he was strong enough to reserve one lonely nickel for an ice-cream cone on the way home. It was perhaps the most sensible of all his purchases, for at least he knew how he was going to use it. He started home penniless. No millionaire or United States president could ever, in his struggling days of early youth, have been a poorer boy than Pee-wee. And now, in his state of financial ruin, flamboyant circus posters confronted him on every hand. They called him from fences and shop windows. He knew that the afternoon performance was already under way. A fitful hope still lingered in his mind that something would happen to enable him to see the evening performance. Ward Hollister, Bridgeborough's most confirmed radio bug, was coming the following day to bring order out of chaos in the matter of Pee-wee's aerial and to hook up the apparatus. Until then, he could do nothing. He paused now and again, gazing wistfully at the seductive posters. One of these showed three elephants playing a game of one-a-cat, with a monkey for umpire. 
Another showed a pony walking a tightrope. Still another showed the clown's donkey appropriately cast in the role of traffic cop. On the way home, he resolved upon a policy which, from previous experience, seemed to hold out some prospect of success. He would prefer no requests, but would enthusiastically relate to his mother the unexpected glories of the great show, leaving it to her own conscience what she would do in the matter. But his mother and sister had both gone to the city in the interests of Joan of Arc, leaving the dismal message that they might not be home for supper at the usual time. As for Dr. Harris, he was absent on a case, and his return was problematical. So Pee-wee withdrew to his room, where he drowned his sorrow by feasting his gaze upon the waiting apparatus. After a little while he went forth, intending to visit the scene of the circus and enjoy such external features of the great exhibition as might be free. On his way through Grantley Place he came upon Emerson Skybrow, standing before a vacant store. This had lately been a drug store, but had proved ill-advised in that purely residential section. The circus man, however, had filled its dusty windows with flaring posters of the world's most stupendous exhibition. In the sidewalk before the windows of this store was an iron grating of several yards area, which opened upon a shaft leading into the cellar. As Pee-wee approached, Emerson was standing upon the grating, looking intently down into the shaft below. Something evidently had happened, and it seemed likely to have been incidental to his inspection of the posters in the window. "'What's the matter?' asked Pee-wee. "'It's plaguey exasperating,' said Emerson. "'What is?' "'This infernal grating. I dropped my tickets down. You can see them down there.' Pee-wee looked down, and amid the litter of soiled and crumpled papers at the bottom of the shaft he saw a small, fresh-looking white envelope. "'I can't go to the exhibition without them, I know that,' said Emerson, annoyed. "'And I can't get them, that's equally certain.' "'What do you mean, you can't get them?' Pee-wee demanded. Then, in a sudden inspiration, he asked, "'How many tickets are there?' "'Just two, said Emerson, preoccupied with his downward gaze. "'You you go on with your mother or your sister?' "'Goodness, no, they're too busy getting Minerva ready for the temple's masquerade.' "'You... you... maybe...' "'I bet you're going to take a girl, eh?' Pee-wee's interest was beginning to liven up. "'I—gee, I bet you're not going alone.' "'It looks as if I were not going at all,' said Emerson. "'Anyway, if you asked me to go, I wouldn't refuse,' said Pee-wee, casting a wistful eye upon the posters. "'I'm sure you'd be only too welcome,' said Emerson. "'Gee whiz, do you mean it?' Pee-wee gasped. "'It isn't much of an invitation, though,' said Emerson, "'with the ticket so near and yet so far.' "'You call that far?' Pee-wee shouted, his hope mounting. "'But anyway, I bet you're only fooling, because I'm not a pal of yours. "'Are you fooling? Do you mean it? Honest?' "'Even if I had the tickets,' Emerson assured him, "'I couldn't go unless I found a boy to go with me. "'My mother doesn't want me to go alone, "'so it would be a favour on your part.' "'Gee whiz!' said Pee-wee. "'Will you promise to take me with you if I get the tickets?' "'Would you promise to go?' Emerson asked. "'What are you talking about?' Pee-wee vociferated. "'Would I promise to go? Oh, boy, you just get a picture of me refusing.' "'You'd have to ask your mother, but anyway, I don't think you can get the tickets.' 
"'You shouldn't worry about my mother,' said Pee-wee excitedly. "'You leave her to me. "'Handling mothers is my middle name. "'Fathers, too, and sisters and everything. "'Don't you worry. "'I can go and promise to go absolutely positively cross my heart, "'and I'll get the tickets, too.' "'I've already asked three boys, and none of them could go,' said Emerson. Two of them didn't care to. "'What?' gasped Pee-wee. "'The other two were not allowed to.' "'I want to, and I'm allowed to both,' Pee-wee said, with increasing elation. "'And I promise absolutely and definitely and positively and double sure to go. "'So there. Gee whiz, I know how it is with those fellows. "'They just, you know, kind of... "'I know I'm not popular,' said Emerson. "'Oh, boy, you're popular with me,' said Pee-wee. End of chapter 11